Section two of eleven possible cases by various. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. The Only Girl at Overlook by Frank Files. Chapter two. The full moon looked for Mary Warriner's little house that night as soon as a clearance of the sky permitted and then beamed down on her abode effulgently. But it was eleven o'clock before the gusty wind blew the thick clouds aside and let the orb illumine overlook. Back of the shed in which the telegrapher worked by day was a structure in which she slept at night. It was built of slabs, with big growing trees to form its irregular corners, and their lowest limbs contributed the rafters, while stripped bark and evergreen boughs made the roof. The foliage swayed above in the fitful wind, and covered the cabin and the grass around it with commingling, separating, capering shadows of leaves, as though a multitude of little black demons were trying to get to the slumberer within. Their antics looked spiteful and angry at first, but as the wind lessened to a breeze, and as the moon seemed to mollify them, they became frolicsome without malice, and at length, when the merest zephyrs impelled their motions, they gambled lazily, good-humouredly, above and around the couch of Mary Might. It was midnight when a man shot into the open space around the cabin like a missile. He ran first to the front of the structure, where a tarpaulin curtained the shed for the night, and gazed for a moment blankly at this indication that the hour was not one of business. Tremendous haste was denoted in his every step and gesture. He plucked twice at the canvas, as though to pull it down. Then he scurried around to the single window of Mary's apartment, whose only door opened into the shed, and pounded with his knuckles on the ill-fitted sash, making it clatter loudly. Silence within followed this noise without. "'Hello! Wake up!' he cried. "'Don't fall for a minute! Wake up!' There was no response, and he skipped to and fro in his impatience. He was an ordinary shoveller and pounder, with nothing to distinguish him from the mass of manual labourers at Overlook, but unlike the usual man with an errand at the telegraphic station, flourished a scrap of paper. "'I want to telegraph,' he shouted, and struck the window again. "'Get up quick! It's life and death!' Mary Warriner was convinced that her services were urgently and properly required. She peeped warily out to inspect the man, estimated him to be merely a messenger, and then opened wide the sash, which hung laterally on hinges. Her delicate face bore the same sort of calm that characterised it in business hours, but the moon shone on it now, the hair had got loose from the bondage of knot and pin and for an outer garment she was carelessly enwrapped in a white fleecy blanket. The man did not give her time to inquire what was wanted. "'You're the telegraph girl, ain't you?' he exclaimed. "'Well, here's something to telegraph. It's in a hurry. 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 Don't lose a minute.' "'I couldn't send it to-night,' Mary said. "'You must! It isn't possible. There is nobody at the other end of the line to receive it. The wire is private. Belongs to the railway company.' isn't operated except in the daytime. You'll have to wait until tomorrow. Tomorrow I'll be a hundred years old, or else dead. The man almost wailed in despair. What? 
I was only ten years old yesterday. Tonight I'm sixty. Tomorrow'll be too late. Here, here, send it tonight, miss. Please send it tonight. The mystified girl mechanically took the piece of paper which he thrust into her hands, but her eyes did not drop before they discovered the insanity in his face, and when they did rest on the paper, they saw a scrawl of hieroglyphics. It was plain that this midnight visitor was a maniac. She screamed for help. A watchman responded almost instantly to her call. Upon seeing the cause of the girl's fright, he treated the incident as a matter of course. The lunatic wobbled like a drunken man about to collapse, as he mumbled his request over and over again. "'Here now, F,' the watchman said, with as much of cajolery as command. "'You mustn't bother the young lady. Ain't you ashamed to scare her this way? Get right out of this.' The watchman took the other by the arm, and, as they started off, one insisting and one objecting, the official looked back to say, "'He won't hurt nobody, Miss Warriner. "'He's just a little cranky, that's all.' Mary watched them out of sight, and while she was doing so, Gerald Heath approached from the contrary direction. He had heard the girl's scream. Why he was within earshot, he might not have been able to explain satisfactorily, for it was not his habit to take midnight walks, even when the air was so brightly moonlit and so temporarily fine but if cross-questioned he would doubtless have maintained that he had sought only to escape from the darkness and closeness of his shanty quarters besides where would he so likely wander in quest of good sight and breath as to the spot whence he could view the scenery which he in vain asked the railway company to exhibit to their passengers as he turned the corner of the cabin he saw f and the watchman departing and comprehended the disturbance F has been frightening you, Miss Warriner, he said. Mary screamed again, but this time it was a low, musical little outcry of modesty. She had not observed Gerald's approach. She clutched the blanket closely around her white throat, which had been almost as much exposed as by an ordinary cut of frock, and drew under cover the gleaming wrist, which had all day been bared to a greater extent by sleeves of handy working length. Then she reached out one taper arm and swung the sash around on its hinges so its inner covering of muslin made a screen between her and the visitor. He did not apologize for his intrusion and she pouted a little on her side of the sash at his failure to do so. I see it was F that alarmed you, he said. What did he do? She told him and then asked, Who is he and what ails him? "'He is a common labourer with an uncommon affliction,' was the reply. "'One day an excavation caved in, and for an hour he was buried. "'Some timbers made a little space around his head, "'but the rest of him was packed in earth. "'He had breathed the enclosed air two or three times over, "'and was almost suffocated when we got him out. "'He was insensible. He never came back to his senses. "'He believes he is living at the rate of more than a year every hour.' That is why he was in such a hurry with his imaginary message. Poor fellow, came from the adverse side of the sash. Yes, poor fellow, the narrator assented. I understood his hallucination at once. When a man is suddenly placed in mortal peril, his past life dashes before him. Half-drowned men afterward tell of reviewing in a minute the events of years. It is a curious mental phenomenon. Well, this poor chap, 
had that familiar experience but with a singular sequence the impression that, that all his lifetime before the accident happened in a brief time has remained in his disordered mind he believes that his whole earthly existence is condensed that future years as well as his past ones are compressed into days and his days into minutes nothing can disabuse him of this idea everything is to him ephemeral that's why i nicknamed him f short for ephemeral you see he doesn't remember his real name and on the roll he had only a number he has done his work well enough until within a few days but now his malady seems to have turned to the worst he has talked wildly of getting some physicians to check the speed of time with him and it may have been that he wished to telegraph to this fancied expert it is singular mary said and very sad the midnight incident seemed to have come to a conclusion it was a proper time for gerald to say good-night and go away he still stood on the opposite side of the half-open sash around the edge of which appeared a small set of finger-tips which pulled the screen a little closer showing that the girl was minded to shut herself in but a hand twice as big opposed hers gently yet strongly and in doing so it touched her and in doing so it touched hers upon which she let go and the window flew open oh you mustn't see me mary exclaimed as gerald got a vanishing glimpse of the white draped figure good night you'll be afraid if left alone gerald protested you can't go to sleep nervous as you must be i surely can't go to sleep talking was her rejoinder with the first touch of coquetry she had indulged in at overlook i won't talk then i'll only keep guard out here until daylight f may return but there's the watchman it is his duty it would be my delight that silenced the invisible inmate of the cabin the moon shone into the square opening but mary was ensconced somewhere in the darkness that bordered the income of light should i apologize gerald at length began again it is like this miss warriner i used to know how to behave politely to a lady but for six years i've lived in wilderness in railroad camps from canada to mexico we've had no ladies in these rough places no women except once in a while some mannish washerwoman or cook that's what makes you so rare so unexpected that is why it would be a delight to be a patrolman outside your quarters that is why i don't wish to go away oh oh i am interesting because i am the only specimen of my sex at overlook that isn't a doubtful compliment it is no compliment at all good night you misconstrue me altogether i mean i'm sure you do not mean and now the tone was pleadingly serious to remain here at my window after i request you to go away i am as you have said the only girl at overlook if there were a thousand girls at overlook not one of them i trust would prolong a dialogue with a young gentleman at night through the open window of her bedroom half in respectful deference to mary's unassailable statement of the rule of propriety applicable to the situation and half in inconsiderate petulance at being dismissed gerald let go of the sash with an impulse that almost closed it this time two miniature hands came out under the swinging frame would more than one hand have been naturally used was it not an awkward method of shutting a window and mary warriner was not a clumsy creature 
but there were the hands and gerald grasped them they fluttered for freedom like birds held captive in broad palms by completely caging fingers then he uncovered them but for an instant kept them prisoners by encircling the wrists long enough to impetuously kiss them another second and they were gone the window was closed and they were alone he walked slowly away accusing himself of folly and ungentlemanliness and he felt better upon getting out of the clear searching moonshine into the dim obscuring shade of rocks and trees among which the path wound crookedly there rapid footsteps startled him as though he was a skulking evildoer and the swift approach of a man along an intersecting pathway made him feel like taking to cowardly flight but he recognized the menomaniac f who was in a breathless tremor mr heath could a man walk to dimmersville before the telegraph station there opens in the morning f asked with several catches of breath and a reeling movement of physical weakness you go to bed f was the reply meant to be soothing and i'll see that your telegram goes from here the earliest thing in the morning that won't be more than six or seven hours from now six or seven hours the poor fellow deploringly moaned i'll be a good many years older by that time oh it's awful to have your life go whizzing away like mine does and he clutched at gerald with his fidgety hands with a vague idea of slowing himself by holding to a normal human being then he darted away swaying from side to side with faintness and disappeared in the foliage which lined the path he was following gerald watched him out of sight and was about to resume his own different way when the voice of tonio ravelli was heard with its italian extra a to the short words and a heavy emphasis on the final syllable of the long ones mr heath he said i saw your affectionate parting with miss warriner gerald had just then the mind of a culprit and he began to explain apologetically it was cowardly in me to insult a defenceless girl she didn't invite it i'm ashamed of myself he hardly realized to whom he was speaking the two men were now walking rapidly ravelli taking two strides to one of the bigger gerald in order to keep alongside you are should be ashamed you are scoundrel as much of jealous fury and venomous malice as could be vocalized in six words was in ravelli's sudden outbreak gerald was astounded he turned upon his companion caught him by both lapels of the coat and shook him so violently that his boot soles pounded the ground ravelli staggered back upon being loosed and threw one arm around a tree to steady himself i didn't mean to hurt you said gerald but you shouldn't be reckless with your language perhaps you don't know what scoundrel means in english i saw you a kiss her hands did you well do you know what i'd do to you ravelli if i saw you kiss her hands as i did without her consent i'd wring your miserable neck now what are you going to do to me i'm a-going to kill you the blade of a knife flashed in ravelli's right hand as he made a furious onslaught but the stronger and quicker man gripped both of his assailant's wrists threw him violently to the ground and tortured him with wrenches and doublings until he had to drop the weapon in the encounter the clothes of both men were torn and when ravelli regained his feet blood was dripping from his hand 
the blade had cut it you meant to kill me gerald exclaimed i said or so was the sullen menacing response and with my own knife and gerald picking up the knife recognized it your own knife the one that you carve a mary's hand with so lovingly ravelli had retained it since the previous afternoon when he had picked it up from mary warriner's desk its blade was now red with blood as gerald shut and pocketed it you cowardly murderer murderer not a yet but i meant to be ravelli turned off by the cross path and gerald passed on End of section two